Hello and welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. My name's Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I'm talking to Scott Thompson, who heads up the sales team at Bad Shepherd in Cheltenham in Melbourne South East. This is a great episode. Scott was just lovely to talk to. We could have spoken for hours with him, particularly his insights as a salesperson at the coalface in the craft beer scene. Uh, kind of remembering that most beer sold in Australia, 9 out of 10, is still owned by the big guys so it's really interesting insight to see how a independent local craft brewer goes about selling the beers so let's get into it so welcome scott tell us about um how long you've been a bad shepherd where you fit in the beer scene how you got started in beer for Bad Shepherd, I head up the sales team, so I um, um, work with uh, Tim and Mick, um, and yeah, just kind of cruise along and hustle on the ground and do what we do, man, in wholesale. Um, I started with them about two and a half years ago now, it's been, it's been about two and a half years, so been doing it for that long, and just, um, yeah, just fell in through through probably a mutual love of beer. Um, I was affectionately known as the social rep. Which um, I used to do beer tastings for like Mornington and Kaiju and Brew Cult um, over the years prior to this, um, and yeah, used to social media do like um, my my beard face handle, um, which is basically kind of like um, was the social rep factor was kind of more helping brands grow through social media. Um, cause obviously, I love beer, and this is the first foremost too. But it's it's interesting to see a small brand grow and prosper so hopefully you know indirectly by tagging them in social media and doing good photo good content hopefully they'll grow vice versa and it it seemed to work so um that's those days are long gone now so that's more of a more of a bad shepherd focus these days which is good too um but yeah that's how i kind of fell into what i do now so you're a clearly a gifted salesman why why selling beer why, why not double why? glazing or uh, <laughs> pyramid schemes? Or <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, it's actually my first first sales gig, to be honest. I was in um, in supply chain management IT before that for Hayfleet Australia. So it was a why? Um, did, why would you leave? Yeah, you leave that for a <laughs> yeah. It's a funny thing. It's I, I was looking for a way out, and um, uh, you know, I met Derek through through mutual friends um, at a beer festival, and met him again a year later at Cookie. I'm um, in the city for a friend's birthday, and then kind of asked me to come work for him on the weekends and I was kind of like why not it's, if it's a way into doing something a bit different and you know doing something you love and you love you love and you're passionate about then why not gravitate towards it too but my dad was a sales manager for 30 years and I worked pretty pretty um pretty tight knit with the sales team at Hayfully for for a long time so I learned basic hustle hustle techniques and that kind of thing too I don't know if it, people like really like talking about sales like the the fine the fine tunings of it too but I suppose it just um it just stems from from basically, you know, you if you want to get something out of it, you're going to get something out of it, yeah. And if you really apply yourself, you're going to go go above and beyond. Yeah, yeah. because it's one of those things that I think um, sales reps, I suppose, looking from the outside in, it's a it's kind of a bit of a glamorous job in some ways. You see me, you jump in a van, you go into these venues, you go into beer festivals, yeah. you're meeting people, you're serving beer, you mm. perhaps are, you know. Um, giving people their first quality beer that they've mm. had in terms of taste, um, and that's enjoyable. But actually, 
you'll have targets to meet. Yeah, it's, for sure. You're yeah. packing away at these beer festivals yeah. late at night uh, whilst yep. other people are inebriated or, uh, <laughs> or socially lubricated, however you want to put it. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to do a lot of miles in, in the van. And yep. um, so there probably is quite a, a lot less glamour. Yeah, and um, yeah, to the pointy end of it, what is like? What's your experience in terms of, you know, you actually have to meet your targets, sell a beer. How difficult is that? Well, I think it's a, all those factors you've talked about. It's pretty on par, man. That's what that, that, that's what we do as a sales rep. Basically, your job is to do a factor or a function of everything. You got to learn, you know, how beer is brewed. You got to learn how it's packed. You got to learn how it's moved. You've got to learn how to talk to people, how to explain things to people. Um, and I, I think my experience is, you know, I just try and give it 110%, like, you know, and you can always have flexi time too. So, like, basically, you know, if you're working late, you know, you, you start later or vice versa. Um, so it's a really kind of, um, it's not a nine to five. It's not that at all. It's It could be a seven to seven, you know, it could be a, a seven day week, you know, Friday special kegs going out, Saturday specials, you know, all that kind of stuff too. It's because you want to, you want to provide the, the three basic things for sales. You want to have a point of difference. You want to service people, yeah, and you want to value the business too. So, how do you do that? It's it's those three those three things are the three things I think you need to have as a salesperson: mm. a different product, service, and value um, to that business too. Um, but then, the, how do you do it? It's like you know, it's like it's working later. It's you know, going in you know twice a week instead of once a week kind of thing mm. too. It's about persistence and consistency and being disciplined, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of just, I just, I just enjoy doing. I don't know what it is. Like, I just like, I like setting up the bar. I like packing down the bar. I like talking to people. I like doing this. I like doing that. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's a really fun job. But it, as you said, once it comes down to the gauntlet, is it's you've got a target and you've got to meet that. Um, but it's your own personal thing too. And it's if you want to, if you want it, you're going to get it. If you don't want it, you're not going to get it. And that's I think where people go wrong. They don't try twice they don't try try again they don't think differently they don't do differently they just kind of become stagnant i suppose and mm. i don't like that in, in life at all man and i think it gravitates towards my job too yeah and um i interviewed the very first podcast i did derek ales uh in the in this brew pub here bad shepherd and um the boss yeah the boss the boss <laughs> we'll, get, we'll name drop him and um he very kindly agreed to do the first podcast um now He'd spoken in that podcast about how craft beer consumers generally are disloyal. Yeah, because for sure. They um, the word's fickle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 they're yeah. fickle. Yeah, that's you listeners. Uh, <laughs> that's you guys. Yeah. I, was once, I was once one of you guys too. And yeah, it was, it was fun. But I never had the one beer that I kind of always drank. I suppose that, that'd be your fridge beer, yeah? Like, you know, kind yeah. of like a... You know, your, your Bridge Road Pale or, you know, your Bad Shepherd Pale or your Mornington Pale. You know, that, that's your fridge beer, yeah? That was, that's what I was loyal to, yeah? But then every other beer, I've drunk, what, three, three and a half thousand unique beers on Untapped or something? Wow. And that's, you, I, I'm not loyal by any means, but I'm loyal to a brand now, of course I am. But, but I, I had to go backwards to go forwards yet again, I suppose. Um, but it's funny you mentioned that because it's, it's the truth of it. So Yeah, you know. so what I'm interested in, though, is, like, yeah. uh, and Derek spoke about this, he said, they're disloyal, um, craft beer drinkers will go into a bottle shop and jump around and just try the next new shiny thing and not necessarily um, be loyal to one brand. Now, as a sales rep for a brand that you want to build loyalty in, mm-hmm. um, are you, is part of your job building uh, the category or do you ha- you're just focused on... Uh, you know the 
it's kind of a bit of a the micro and the macro. Yeah. W- yeah. To what it's extent a, do actually, you have to kind of take the hit and go that pe- person's not going to be loyal to Bad Shepherd, yeah. but they are going to buy a craft beer well, next time. Well, it's a funny thing too. So, so I I really like that question. It's a really good question. Um, and to answer that, okay, so I think there's three consumers. In my, this is my personal opinion. I think there is. Um, so you've got the the old mate who doesn't understand it and fears it and doesn't believe in you. You've got the guy who comes into the brewery or locally who buys into the brand because he sees it as a local brand. And then you've got the craft beer, beer snob, beer geek kind of person who wants the new thing, yeah. So I think where we win as a brand, um, specifically, you know, Derek and I working on the portfolio, Diddy involved in too, Dan and stuff too. So we try and have our core range of beers, which suits that local mentality and also have an entry level beer too, which hopefully will bridge people back into the core range. And then we've also got our limber releases and our seasonals that we do. So stuff like the raspberry wheat ale, um, the oatmeal stat for winter. And then also we do the limited stuff like the almighty double IPA. And we're doing, doing a bunch of beers this year that are going to be in 440 mil cans and be crazy. But that, that's tailored towards that person who wants the new thing too. And also it's fun for us to create things and and sell things in which, you know, that, that I have that point of difference on too, like I talked about before, like that, that, um, that, uh, that bridges the gap uh, in the way of, you know, it's, it's you know, what's, what's that way of saying it? It's, it's almost like the status quo. Um, and you're trying to break that because um, it's fun to see how far you can go, you know, from marketing or from, from brewing or from sales point of view too. So, you know, like we've got uh, literally a Citra cedar ipa in the tank as we speak right now which is like it not many people in australia have used that um aging on wood chips as such so we've just done that with the cedar chips i picked up from rye down in the peninsula the other week too so i think that's the stuff that's more tailored towards that beer beer geek person yeah yeah i think that's yeah. what, what i can say those those three kind of consumers and that's how i think as a brand said once again you know having that core range limited in seasonals that's how we kind of keep trucking along as such too yeah and do you kind of feel a responsibility to the ca- to the category of of general quality you know good beer um do you, do you actually feel that responsibility or yeah, you sure. just look after your brands yeah no I, I think um the reason why i got into it too from doing what i do now is is you want to educate consumers you want to teach them how beer is made why it's different to a macro beer um but also it's a it's a tough one to answer actually in in ways too I do feel like I have some sort of ownership. I feel like I help, I've helped grow the category over the last three years and even prior to that yet again too. Um, but it might have been a minute, minute thing. But, you know, hopefully by doing, you know, events, by doing tastings in the stores, by talking to people, I've taught someone something and hopefully they, they enjoy the product and actually try other brands too. Um, I think I see it more as a community too. I think we're all kind of in the same picture in the scheme of things. Um, and that kind of, everyone helps everyone. And as long as you say, you know, like, you know, there's a brewery down the road too. They go, oh, wow. You know, and they see, they see it's actually bigger than it is. Like, it's not this little small industry. We're actually quite, quite, quite broad. Market share is not there, but as in awareness, we're, we're there. We're, and we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger by the day. It's, it's, it's super awesome to see. Now, tell me about... Um before we go through your six beers, tell yeah. me about in-store tastings because oh, man. I, <laughs> whenever I go into, you know, there's uh, there's bottle shops that generally a Friday night or something. Yeah, and yeah you, it's always Friday night. Yeah, yeah, and you you wander in there, and I I always try and chat to the the, the rep who's mm-hmm. working because it just seems a tough a tough job. Oh, it's, and it, it's, it's great to hang around and yeah. see what people new to 
to good beer that they kind of try the beers and just seeing their faces and yeah, things. It's, but it's, it is. I've, I've had some uh, funny experiences I have, to be honest. Um, the more you do, the better you are at it. So I've done, what, over the last two and a half years, every Friday night pretty much for those two and a half years, and it's um, and, and pride up for mornings and stuff too, and da 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 da. Um, and yeah, it's it's funny. These people pay, people wince. They 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 lose their mind. Um, I've never had anything taste like that before. Like, what did you guys do to it? And that opens the conversation up too. That's the educational factor. That, that's why yeah. you do it to educate people about your brand and about better beer. Like, it's that's just the simple one hundred and one. But I think it's very important doing those things because if you don't do those, then it's not going to grow that category, as we said too. But um, the cool part about that too is um you know it's yeah, pe- people like they can just they can just brush you off as they as they walk past it's about how you engage them too but it's also about being a you got to be a bit of a smart ass to be honest you got to be a bit you know you have a bit of bit of a hustle in you and and be a bit cheeky and stuff too and, that, and i think people really enjoy that um and it adds personality to it too you know, it's not a guy saying oh you know i've got a pale ale da, 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 da. it's like have you tried our pale ale you know it's it's got this in it and it's different and hopefully, as I said yet again, it, it teaches them something too. Um, that's why I do it. So. so tell us about some of these uh, experiences you've oh, had, though. Man, dude, I've, I've, <laughs> I've spilled beer on people by accident. Um, I've I've poured beer with head on it, like just stupid. Um, people have spat it out, like <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's just yeah, it's 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 everything you could imagine, good and bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just seems like such a tough gig, um, and particularly. I imagine there's, there'll be venues that you really relish going to and really enjoy going to because you know that people are going are going for a, an experience or they're, they're looking for a mixed six pack yeah, or whatever. Like, and then other other venues you might go to, which might people just on a Friday night yep. making a beeline for the that's it, you know yeah. VB or yep. the Carlton yep. or whatever and getting I, out of there. I really enjoy our craft centric stores. I love they're great customers ours. I love going there to drink too, vice versa. But the fun ones that I really enjoy are the, the stores that don't have that independent category in them. And you sell it in there and it starts selling and they freak out. They go, I need more beer on the Monday kind of thing. And then you do a tasting in there and that maybe might be local or might be, you know, in a city, west, north, south, east. But hopefully by doing that, that grows that category by getting into those stores that don't have it, yeah, and su- support, value them, service them right, correctly. And yeah, I, I, I really think that's... Um, it's a very important part of my job is to do that. Um, you know, I don't like working late Friday nights most of the time, so I take one off every now and then. Um, but yeah, part of that, I think it's I think it's critical for your for your brand, especially to grow to grow that brand part of things too. Well, all credit to you for doing that. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> man. So if anyone sees Scott out in a in a BWS somewhere, <laughs> yeah. In a, yeah, please in please help me out in a, in a drive through bar nice. shop. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you uh, don't spit your beer over him. <laughs> so, um, well, let's let's start with your first beer. We're here okay. to talk about the six beers that changed everything for oh, you, right. and that those beers that. Um, really opened your eyes cool. up. So let's let's right. go. So First going choice. back, going back. So I am 29 years old now. Um, it was around after high school, 18 years old, 19 years old. Um, we had some. I had two. I've got two really good friends, Andrew and Reese, whose whose brothers were actually older than us, about three years older than us, and they were kind of like getting into. They've they've travelled a bit, you know. They've seen some shit go down, you know. They've drunk some good beers too, like from China and the States and that kind of thing too. And they actually, um, we used to drink, I used to, um, I'll, I'll admit, I used to drink Han Super Dry, Bex, Heineken, all that macro stuff. But 
then I kind of found Guinness and Kilkenny and used to do black and tan because it was freaking tasty, man. You know, sit back on the couch with a ca- captain's hat on, just drink those and look, look, try and look cool, you know, when you're young. Um, and then he actually gave us, um, well, I've, I've, I've got more than six beers. We should have done a slab, a mixed slab. We can certainly talk we're, about we're, the beers yeah, that we'll didn't make the six, so definitely. But the number one, Surya Nevada Pale Owl. Now, that beer blew my mind um, when I first had it. I, I never had a hoppy beer. It was always those macro kind of lagers and pilsners. And then I had that beer and I was like, what? Can I, can I, can I swear? Most definitely. Yeah, what yeah. the actual <laughs> fuck is that? Is this going on? And then I asked the boys, like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's an American pale ale. And I was like, oh, well, I like American pale ales now. <laughs> and that just, like, it rewired me. It made me go, well, where can I go buy that? And then you could get that beer was quite accessible. You can get it from, you know, you know, Dan Murphy's, big, big chains, small chains, like, you know, your Purvises and your Carwins and your Grape and Grains. So it was an accessible beer. So that was the first hoppy experience or, you know, craft experience that I ever had. And that beer is a, an absolute powerhouse for them. Like, it's, it's whole whole leaf hops in it. It's, it's very unique for an American pale ale, but that's the one that is on the BCJP guidelines too. It's, it's what it is, and it's one of my first beers that blew my mind. Yeah, and it, it's full on, the yeah, beer. Yeah. It, it really is. And even when I... Ha- uh, in, in, I normally have it, you know, once every eight months or something yep. like that. And when you revisit it, it's still a bit, it's a bit still blow a great away. Beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's definitely one of those beers that when it first came out in the States, apparently people were tipping it down a sink because they thought there's something wrong with it, yeah. spitting it out, yeah. all of those things. But you just think that's in the early 80s in the US yep. and how far. Yeah, but he paved, it's he paved the way for that, for that style and actual, you know. They're one of the biggest breweries in, in America now, too, from what I've read recently and heard on other podcasts, too. And they're an absolute powerhouse, man. But, like, it's just... It is a great beer. Like, you can't fault it. Like, yeah. it just... It, and it, every time I have it, it's like, it's, it's like visiting an old friend. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And um, can or bottle? What, what would be your preference to the... Um, when I first started drinking, it was in bottles. Of obviously, cans these days. Um I'm not going to go into the debate either or. Um, <laughs> see, see uh, yeah, uh, put that little a, bit of bait there for yeah, you. <laughs> if you've got that bottling line or the canning line that's worth millions of dollars, they're both going to be just as good as each other. Usually there's, there's less DO in, in cans, of course, because it's a, a steel vessel. And I'd probably, these days, I would honestly say I'd buy more cans than bottles. Um, but it's depending on what beer style it is too. Um, yeah. But I won't get into that too in depth because I probably get in trouble by someone usually because <laughs> I'm not always right. And that's good not to be right all the time. You know? Yeah, well, that's, um, that's a a great starting point for your for your beer journey. Let's go on to um, choice two. Number two, Triple Calmlet. Yep, this this beer was my first Belgium experience. Um, so, segueing from the pale to the Triple Calmlet, excuse me, um, uh, I was probably about 20, 21 at the time and my good friend Reese took me to the Belgian Beer Cafe at Eureka Tower, so down in the CBD. And that's where I met Miro, and also met um, a few other a few other people who work in different bars and who are actually brewers now too in the industry. Um, and then I tried Triple Calmlet and a bunch of other Belgian beers, but that was the one beer I was kind of like, it had this really cool glass. The glass was like this big goblet tulip looking thing with like cool graphics on it. Very, very, you know, almost like Masonic and like ancient and like, you know, kind of, it looked, it looked old, but like it looked different. And that's what made me go, wow, what is that? So I had one of that, and then the difference in that Belgian triple, it's actually got oats in it too. So it's got this beautiful, silky mouthfeel, but it's boozy. It's like almost 8% alcohol, big esters on it too from the, from the yeast. But um, that beer truly kind of struck my awe for finding even more progressive 
different kind of stuff, I suppose. And fair play to you. You were 21 at the time, is yeah, that right? Yeah. And And you were shit. That would have yeah. cost... I was getting a, paid. A fair penny. I was getting paid too much at the time <laughs> in, my, in my previous life. Um, yeah, so I had, I had plenty of disposable income at that age too, obviously, because you're quite young. So I yeah. suppose you haven't got any responsibilities. You know, you can pay for the taxes to go to and from and get legless and and drink ten percent Taffers Rochfords and Chimay's and you know breasts and all that kind of stuff too. So but yeah, triple Carmelette was definitely a, an eye opener into that Belgium style of beer and the bigger picture of um, higher alcohol beers. I definitely picture the beer being 10, 15, 20%, 7%, whatever. Because it was always, you know, that 4.4% macro before that kind of thing too. So, yeah. And what is the kind of the the experience when you're trying to sell beer and people exactly who you're speaking to there, like yourself when you're 21, have never seen a 8, 10% beer? And people, they're thinking, what, freak out. what do we do with it? They like, freak out. They go, the first thing is they say it's like wine. It, wh- wh- how, how can it be as boozy as wine and be beer? And it's... Literally, it's it's years of of beer evolution, like you know, back to the Russian court, you know, back to the Egyptian times, that kind of thing too, you know. But they they last longer, they preserve longer too. So, but it's the hard, the fun part of well, not 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 the hard part, the fun part about selling it to someone is, you know, it's about not necessarily the beer itself; it's about the story behind why you why you brewed that beer or or how it came to fruition, or, or the history behind that beer too. So if you can tell someone that, you, you gotta give, man, if you're doing this job, you've got to be well-scholared. Like, you've got to know stuff. Like, I don't know everything, and I don't claim to know everything, but I've tried to research everything that we do as a brand and the beers that we make. Um, I come annoy the boys in the brewery and ask him what's going on. I, I, I annoy Derek and ask him how, you know, things came to fruition. I annoy the, the bar staff and say, hey, is, who's come in and try this and that, da, da, da. But I think going back to the beer style and trying to teach someone is you can use, you, there's plenty of good online resources. You know, there's like craftbeer.com, you know, rate beer and beer advocate and untap and stuff too. You can, you can learn about beer styles, but you got, I think by doing that, you got to drink beer. Like you got to drink a lot of beer to learn what those styles entail, um, what those ingredients do, the processes underneath and that kind of thing too. So, yeah. And there is the advantage of beer as opposed to wine is that you, it's more accessible to do that, to try a lot of different beer styles, yeah. whereas with wine, no, you've got to commit to a bottle yeah. every time. Every time. <laughs> that could be from, you know, $5 to hundreds of dollars, yep. you know, like, yeah. And I, I kind of, I, I do like, um, I do like scotch, like, and, and wine, but I'm, I'm still getting into trying some nat- natural wines too. And I think it's kind of, you can learn a lot from that too, from those those wild yeasts that they use too. You know, it translates through to beer yet again too. A lot of breweries are making wine now too. Natural yeah. wines, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be yeah, a definite crossover there. And Yeah, so um, let's do choice three. Ah, this is a good one. Brewdog Punk IPA. So, um, this beer used to be imported by Beeblebox before it got changed over to Phoenix. And they've also got a brewery being built in Australia now too. But I actually first tried this beer after coming back from Mount Hotham um, from snowboarding one one year. My friend and I said, he goes, have you been to a beer called Beer Deluxe in Fed Square? And I'm like, no, I never, never heard of it. And I kind of one night just uh, got a cab in to the city and kind of found it and sat down at the bar and I met a guy called Royce. And Royce has um, also run a few bars around the city now and stuff, but he was managing that bar at the same time too. And he's also a customer of mine too um, at Craft kitchen and bar in Eltham now he's a great great guy very well very well versed in um in beer and and in 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 venues but he gave me a punk IPA from from Brewdog from Scotland and I kind of that was my so 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 pale ale Belgian triple never had an IPA and I had this IPA and I was like it's offensive like 
it was offensive, but it was in the way where I kind of went, holy shit, that's delicious. Like, it's hoppy, it's bitter, it's golden, it's fruity. And I had many, many that night too. And I actually tried other BrewDog beers that night too. Like, they're red, they're Tokyo, and that beer just put me on my butt. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, 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 Punk IPA, that was... Um, an amazing experience to have and I kind of became a bit more I would say I'm actually a hop head I love hops um, I do love malt and sour too but I just love hoppy bitter golden dry West Coast style IPAs so yeah yeah and that that is a belter yeah. <laughs> the, the, it's, the, it's, the smell I think more than anything on the punk IPA when you get it fresh a very very well brewed beer is uh, well brewed exceptional beer. Um, so one of the features of Bad Shepherd is that uh, you have a range of beers that are brewed or inspired by the staff who work at Bad yeah, Shepherd. Yeah, so that's um, we call it our Brew Crew series. Yeah. yeah. So now it, it it almost sounds like a bit of madness to me. You let you've got these experts, scientists, brewers <laughs> of some experience, and then you're letting someone behind a bar or an yeah. accountant brew a beer. Yeah, literally, but, and say what do you like? <laughs> um, so the whole process on that is. Uh, so every full-time staff member gets to brew a beer after a course of time when it fits into our forecasting. Obviously, we've got to brew our core range, brew our limited releases and try and forecast for that beer to come out and then do the quantities from can to pack to bottle to keg. Um, so I, I'll talk about my one that I did and how it came to fruition. So obviously, Hophead, love hops. Um, was a home, I'm a bit of a home brewer too every now and then back in the day. Not so much anymore. I'm looking to buy a new kit soon to actually start doing it at home and get it again. So... Smash IPA. So smash means single malt and single hop. So it's an old home brewer's term. So I thought it'd be challenging for the for the boys in the brewery and myself to come up with the recipe. So we used a, a new malt called Schooner. Um, it's kind of English origin. Um, and then that's also produced by Voyager Craft Malts in Griffith in Sydney. And then also Coopers is making that malt too um, up in SA now too in their malting facility and we use Galaxy Hops from HPA um, which is really cool too but yeah it's quite hard to find the balance between that two um, but basically yeah like you just you tell the brewers what you want you say hey I want a juicy IPA and they'll go okay well let's start here let's let's try some beers so we'll go down to a local bottle shop um, or somewhere else and online or whatever and try and find something that that you can use to do some R&D to find out that beer style and ingredients and vice versa so the most recent one was Tracy's um, Pineapple Sour, which was an absolute belter of a beer. Um, that beer sold out in half an hour in wholesale, like just allocated like insanely quick. Um, but basically, we we said to Tracy, what? this is a funny story actually, um, what what beer do you want to make, Tracy? And she goes, oh, I don't drink beer. And it's like, I said, so you like you like soda, yeah? You like, you like Diet Coke and stuff? She's like, yeah. I said, we'll go buy you some sour beers, yeah? So Derek went down and bought some Belgium sours and some, some sours from New Zealand and Australia stuff too. And she had them and she was like, oh, I didn't know beer could taste like this. This is a whole educational thing, like teaching someone, you know, beer is a bigger thing than just, you know, a macro pills or a lager. Um, and then she goes, oh, but I like fruit too. I said, what's your favorite fruit? Kiwi fruit and pineapple. We're like, okay, let's, let, let's do pineapple. Um, and then that's how that beer came to fruition. So we had those sours and the pineapple and we, we bought 200 and something kilos of puree juice and put in the fermenter and 3.2 pH, super sour, tart and acidic, 4% alcohol. And that's how that came about. So the Brew Crew series is a celebration of our staff, basically. So it's what we get to do and hopefully I get to do another one. Now, what I worry about here is that Tracy, who might not be that into beer she she brews 
brews this beer and yeah. then it, it disappears in wholesale super quick. And now is Tracy kind of walking around the place thinking she, you know, she Tracy. got tickets on herself, and she's Tracy. thinking I could be the next. Well, head Tracy brewer. thinks she's a top salesperson now, but <laughs> it's not. It's not the truth. I, I swear. I swear. Yeah, now nah, Tracy. Tracy. Um, uh, we're looking at untapped things. So on Monday, I'll go through untapped and I've got untapped and stuff. And like Tracy, like, look, you're a superstar. <laughs> she's like, yeah, don't don't forget it. Like, <laughs> literally, yeah. So is the you do you only get one shot at it, or will it be in um, a in a circular thing? Uh, will you get a second? go? I think we'll all get a, se- a second go at some sort of point too um but yeah it's been super fun so far we've done an esb the smash ipa a licorice baltic porter pineapple sour and there's a few other ones coming out this year which will be pretty pretty cool too so might be two more sours this year i think too yeah and how hard is it when you do like a beer like that which is you know clearly temporary when it sells out and there's a demand for it and you're like oh we didn't really predict and and we we didn't really think too much about the the longevity and the cost of the raw ingredients and so on because we just thought it was a temporary thing and now people are asking for it yeah so i think um going back to that too is uh, it can create a demand for a beer and you can actually probably have a core range beer after that too vice versa um but you have to once you sell it in obviously and work with the venue it, you you let them know it's that that's their allocation for it and they're not going to get any more um and that comes back to the whole fickle craft consumer thing too is they, they want something new um, so that's going to kind of tick over on the shelf so um, yeah that's just what it is it's just limited and you get what you get what you get basically um, and it's tough to to say to someone you know you, you, sorry we haven't got any left kind of thing too um, but yeah it is what it is you know that's what happens if you can't you know you, you know you've only got a certain amount of volume and you want to produce that beer you know you, you, you and you've you've told them that it's limited it, that's what they're going to get too so Managing their expectations, basically. Yeah. And how do you go about um, when you go into a bar or a, a venue and they 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 don't sell independent beer? How do you open the conversation to say, "Hey guys, so you oh, should be yeah. buying"? How do you kind of approach that? Do you have you been chased out of venues before? And um, only once, many many years ago. Um, it was yeah, it was a fun thing. Um, yeah, I won't talk about that. <laughs> but yeah, I have. Uh, I've talk, never talk about it. Just don't name yeah, names. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that was that was before I was a sales rep for for a brewery. Um, and it was a venue in um, in uh, I think it was in Brunswick somewhere, and it was actually for a for an event that the Crafty Pint does called Crafty Rising. So I bought some beer, and one of the things on Crafty Rising was go give beer to a venue that doesn't have any independent beer. So I went and did that, and I actually got chased out and got told to leave. <laughs> um, unbeknownst to me, it was probably the worst time to go into. It was actually lunchtime on a Saturday, and I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, that's a big, big no-no. <laughs> you never go in between um, 12, 12 and 2 into a venue that's on-premise because you'll get kicked out generally too. But um, yeah, in, in this gig for the last two and a half years, I've had nothing but good good feedback. Um, and it's about how you approach people. It's not about... Um, you know, you, you can make meetings, you can do cold calls, um, and then basically you have to manage it yourself on the spot too. Um, if they don't want to talk, they don't want to talk, and you say, I'll come back next week at three or whatever on, on a Tuesday. They're going to be more inclined to talk to you in a meeting too. But um, I've had a lot of fun experience. I thought people would punch me in the face, walking in, um, they'd buy kegs on the spot, literally, because you just, you've told them, you know, you've, you've sold it to them. You've, you've told them, you know, the beer style, the brand, what you're about, and they want to work with you. Um, and I think that's just, you know, it's about becoming a bit more harder and a bit more consistent, um, and then you'll get that 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 receptacle part from the from the customer or the, cons- or the consumer. Yeah. And how do you manage manage growth? Because it, you're 
going out selling the stuff and uh, but you've got to have in the back of your mind the, the actual from the beginning which is what's happening in the brewery yeah. um, because if you over promise yep. you're going to under deliver and this goes and back how to, do you do that this goes back to taking kegs out on the weekend <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're, we're very fortunate to have a pretty um, strong forecast and we kind of know how much keg to pack that we sell um, and we kind of know how much is going to move from mutual relationships to people who want to keep us on because we're good friends um and people who want to work with us too, vice versa. We know, you know, someone could someone could just turn around and order 100 slabs of hazelnut brand and you can't, you want to have that stock. So you've got to manage that and say, hey, can we send you 50 this week and maybe 50 in two weeks' time when they're going to sell it too. So it's about managing the customer too as well as managing the forecasting. But um, our forecasting is pretty bang on. But for growth too, um, you know, we've got f- multiple salespeople now. Um, so we're, we're brewing more than we would. So we're constantly kind of in tank, out of tank, um, and forecasting to stock those. Um, so the, the transport companies up, the distributors up, like ALM and Paramount too. Um, and then, yeah, so we kind of just know we're at at all times. And that opens, that's because of communication. We all communicate with each other. We say, hey, this guy sells, you know, two kegs of tiny IPA a week. Um, so we've got to keep that stock, you know, in the transport, transport company, send it out to him vice versa too. But if we go out of stock, then I have to keg off a, a tiny and take it out to him on the weekend and I don't really want to you know that's my, my, my time too but you know what it's it's about it goes back to that, that whole thing about service 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 man like and if you don't do that then you're not going to sell beer there's a lesson for everyone <laughs> so choice four mm. um, oh this one's a good one um, this was one of my kind of uh, beers that I saw on Instagram through my blogging time um, social media time as, as the, the beard face um Founders Blackwood Bastard. So Founders is um, a brewery from Grand Rapids in Michigan. Um, they were a failing brewery um, for many, many, many years, unbeknownst to everyone, you know, from the outside looking in. I actually listened to a podcast recently and learned about this. Um, but they brewed a beer called uh, Dirty Bastard. It's a cool name, and it's a like a, basically a really high alcohol Scotch ale, and it's delicious. Uh, it was one of the, one of the beers I've I've had after Blackwood's Bastards, and I kind of fell in love with it again too. So Blackwood's Bastards is the bourbon barrel aged version of Dirty Bastard, um, and it's got this old kind of wizard looking guy on the front of it. It's a really really cool label. But I saw that on the internet, went, I want that beer, I want that beer, and then finally found it started getting distributed in Australia. So I had that beer, and it was the most beautiful like malt driven sweet bourbon character I've ever had in a beer and I still love that beer today how much would that beer have set you back when um, you bought it I'm not too sure how much they are they're going for these days um, you know it's probably in between you know the 10 and 20 dollar category for a 330 mil bottle I'm pretty sure yeah and do you ever get nervous when you Spending that much on a on a stubby? Do you ever have you had a bad um, experience? Oh, I've had many bad experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I, I don't name names and, and brands too, but I've had plenty of beer that's been oxidised, um, brewed poorly um, over the years um, from overseas and Australia too, and just kind of just money down the drain basically. Um, which is, it's going to happen. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a perishable good. It's like milk and bread, yeah. It's it's going to go off at some time. Beer's going to age well, age poorly, vice versa for different beer styles. But um, I never really kind of winced at buying beer for the price point because I think if you see the quality, it's, it's going to be worth it too. Like, you know, if you see a 500 ml bottle at $30, you know, yeah, cool. It's probably got a lot of time and effort put into it too. Um, but yeah, I've had a few bad experiences, unfortunately, but that comes down to, you know, just... It could be anything. It could be supply chain. It could be brewing process. It could be um, shelf, um, how, it's, how it's stored in the, in the venue vice versa. Because once it leaves your brewery, 
you you can't control it. Like people think they can control things by you know can versus you know bottle, but like it's like if it sits ambient, it's going to age eight to twelve times the amount of in the fridge. And then you know it's like okay, and like is that an IPA? It could go off in you know it's meant to last for three months to four months, you know, on the shelf like ninety to one twenty days, but then it could last two weeks. You don't know how it's rapidly it's going to age. Um, but yeah, that's it's a very tough thing to. To manage um, from from my end now, from from the inside looking out now, I'm from the inside. Not, I'm not the consumer anymore. I'm I'm still a craft beer consumer, but I'm a rep too, and I've got to try and manage that. So you know, like, and you know, if if beer doesn't sell, you've got to replace it with something else, um, and that's the the hard luck of it. Um, and it's probably you know, it's like a deck of cards. You never know what's going. You never know what's going to happen. Like it's it could be anything could be pulled out at any time. So you got to just work with it and try and you know think about. Um, what what's on a beer list that's going to sell vice versa to the other people's beers? Um, you know what's what's different on the taps? What's what's the weakness? What's the strength? You know, and that stuff. So you so your beer moves efficiently and it moves and you get reorders and get it flowing, get some brand in there too, vice versa. But yeah, I've definitely had a few bad experiences, um, especially with IPAs. Um, that's probably the biggest one. Um, when they're good, they're good. When they're bad, they're really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, usually I've 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 salad beer for a long time too, and um. Been been burnt with imperial stouts, um, just from keeping them for too long. Um, so, I would just say to anyone who's listening out, just drink drink the beer for what it is. Don't don't let it sit around. Drink it for what it is. Um, check the date codes. Um, we're still learning to date our beers overall as industry um, in Australia. Um, I suppose cans is a lot better because it goes through the pack the pack chain and gets scanned straight away and gets printed on the back bottom of the can, which is really good. So that's definitely a strength. With Yet again, I'm not saying they're they're good or bad, vice versa to a bottle. Um, but yeah, I just think um, people need to be be educated about what they're buying for sure. Yeah, and uh, in the first episode with Derek, he talked about um, not selling outside of Melbourne. Is that still because he wanted beer as it should be um, to have as much control on that kind of supply chain as possible? Yeah. Is that still a case? What's yeah, up? yeah. It's, um, we're still um, predominantly Melbourne-based. We do do a little bit of um, beer in Sydney and um, wherever else pops up. Unfortunately, we can't control if people take beer out of Melbourne and sell it in their venues. Um, if that's what they want to do, they can do that. that's fine. It's not what we want specifically. Um, we want to service them as a personal level too and actually give them value yet again too. Um, but yeah, so there's no real plan at the moment for us to kind of venture out yet. We're kind of very comfortable down here and we're doing pretty well. So, um, I think the more you service your backyard and your neighbors, you're going to get a lot more return too. And the beer is not going to move as far. It's going to stay fresher. Um, it's going to cost you less too, from a business point of view too. Um, and that's what you're about. If you're a local brewery, you want to stay local. Um, but as a point where you're going to get to growth, you're going to have to go, okay, we've got more capacity. Are we going to go to ACT or Tassie next? Are we going to go to Sydney and we'll focus on Sydney? But that costs more for another person on the ground, costs another for more more logistics and more warehousing. And also, you know, things could go wrong and it's going to cost you vice versa, you know, to, to, to fix the problem too if it's further away. If it's local, you can go take the keg of K down the road. You can take the keg 30K away, but you can't take it 400,000 billion kilometers away, you know, like, and that's where the service goes down. People don't want to work with you. So you want to try and keep it in the backyard. So Derek and I have talked about just staying in Melbourne for the time being. Um, and we're having a lot of fun doing it, man. I love Melbourne. It's one of my favorite towns, but I love Sydney too. Sydney's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, um, that's just the, the plan for the moment. Yeah. Excellent. Um, choice five. Number five. Um, this beer absolutely blew my mind when I had it. Um, Bridge Road, McKellar Dark Harvest. Um, it's, so this is a 
a really funny beer style. Um, Cascadian Dark Ale, Black IPA, whatever you want to call it. Um, hoppy Porter. People think it's a bit of a misnomer kind of thing too. Um, hop shouldn't be in dark beer, people say. I, I say no, I love it. Um, Black IPA is one of my style, favorite styles. It's kind of died off at late, I've seen. There's not many Black IPAs as there used to be, um, which is quite, quite interesting. But this, yeah, Dark Harvest is basically a, I think it's a fresh hopped Black IPA from memory. And every year it kind of changes a little bit, but not too much. But it was a collab done many, many, I think 2014 might have been the first one, I think, off the top of my head. I'm not too sure I didn't go back that far. But yeah, this beer is like, it's literally a beautiful, like, chalk-driven dry porter with this beautiful hop aroma from the fresh hops, obviously used while they're, they're grown up near Bridge Road anyway. So they're very, very fresh off the vines. And it's just an awesome experience to have. Now, um, Bridge Road, obviously, are doing pretty tremendous things in terms of the sour space as they're, well. They're killing it. Yeah. I love them guys. They kind of straddle that kind of world of being in Dan Murphy's but also being a, a uniquely sort of strong independent I Australian. It, I think they've done it the right way. And they're in a regional town. Yep. Um, how's that possible? <laughs> uh, yeah. This, <laughs> and I, 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 look, I look at them too from, from, from being in the industry too and, and just, just can't picture their how they're doing it. I think they just brew freaking great beer, man. And I think that's like the whole thing people should aspire to is that quality. Like if you're going to deliver something, deliver it and give them the experience and say, you know, this is our Beechworth Pale Ale. It's got, you know, these unique hops in it or, you know, it's like they're doing like a strawberry cream sour, I think, or something I saw recently and a honey sour and they've got photos and stuff now. Um, yeah, I just think they're they're very unique in the way they do things and I, I really admire that. But uh the way that they've they've structured themselves is is pretty cool too. I think they've grown very steadily over the years. They haven't gone like big too soon. Um, hence why they can resupply those customers, service them properly, but also go, hey, you know this this beer works in this macro chain and this beer works in this smaller chain, independent, and they're managing those two customers separately and well. Um, yeah, I just. I think they're a freaking awesome brand, man. Yeah, because that's a really unique, uh, well, not a unique challenge, but a very difficult challenge um, f- from a sales point of view to manage a, a you know, a, a multi, a big Dan Murphy's or a, you know, one of those contracts that you get and it puts a, a pressure on the brewery as well as selling down a bar down the street. Like how, how would uh, Bad Shepherd kind of approach such a, uh, it seems quite daunting. Um, it's a it's an interesting question that one. Um, we it's almost mean that you kind of almost have a two stream kind of approach. Yeah. So so we kind of a plan isn't anytime soon to kind of do that as such, but we've thought about it. Yeah, we've thought about it and, and how there could be potential um, backlash from independence versus you know chain versus chain. Yeah, objections too. Um, but yeah, I think. It's the way that, you know, it's the consumer. It's the person who's going to buy the beer. So if it's not going to, if they're not going to buy it, then why would you put it in there? I'll ask you that. Like, if it's not going to sell, it's not going to sell. But how do you make it sell? That's the thing. So I think Bridge Road, well, I I love Ben and, and the boys and stuff too, but like, I think their brand was so strong that if you went into a chain, it would sell because people would know that brand. If you put ours into a chain right now, I don't know how much perception there might be, honestly. But um, our brand's got a pretty good back following to it too. But I think if you did it more locally and you actually work with them for selected stores and actually did tastings and events in there too, maybe did a 
did a promotion of some sort too, um, it would definitely work for itself too. Yeah, and you kind of uh, there is a, a definite advantage of uh, in the situation you're in now, where you can work with some very local independent bottle shops who refrigerate the beer, yep. <laughs> which seems basic. But when you do go into a major, you see quite high value beer um, sat on the shelf. Um, that is a definite advantage, isn't it? Because obviously, being a, a smaller brand, you, well, you, you reputational damage is you know well, people yeah, have one of your yeah, beers for sure, and it's sat on the shelf for eight months. Well, that's where that's where you've got to look at. Like you know, I think in Australia we kind of go too fast in ways. So like people go, okay, let's sell it in to the venue. Let's 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 get it rolling, and it starts turning over. So the stock turns good, yeah, and that's fine. But in America, they're so selective, yeah. They actually work with people who store the beer correctly, and they work with the guy. This guy might want to sell their beer, and they might do a squillion liters a year, but they're not going to be storing it properly. So the end consumer is going to be pissed off if he gets a crap beer, or he's going to think. All beers taste like that too. That that's the backlash. It's not just your brand; it's it's the overall, yeah. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the responsibility to the yes. s- to the sector to yeah. So know. that goes back to educating your customer mm-hmm. on how to store it too. That that's the flip side, yeah. That, that's the thing. So you go, hey, can you you know keep it refrigerated or say, hey, can you you know? Well, it's not beer 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 is perishable, yeah. But there's a misconception sometimes. People think it needs to be cold stored, yeah. Beer, beer kept cold's fine. It's like milk, yeah? But it has to be temp controlled, yeah? So in America, I'm pretty sure, don't hold me to this, it's between 7 and 13 degrees temp controlled in their ambient warehouses. And the depletion rate is actually not as bad as the cold stored, yeah? But cold store is always going to be better because it, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's like a freezer in a fridge, yeah? If you freeze something, it's going to last longer. If you put it in a fridge, it's going to last for a similar amount of time. Same thing with that kind of thing too. But I, I think um, if you teach the customers and consumers on how it should be done, they're going to follow suit too yet again. Now, how about this difficult conversation you've got to have when you, you're rocking into a venue, a venue Friday night to do a tasting and you see that very kindly they've created a, uh, a nice bad shepherd thing in their front window which is bathed in sunlight, oh, <laughs> which nice. is, uh, you yeah. know, and you're there and they're trying their best mm. to showcase your product. Yep. So clearly it's not in the right so spirit of things. What <laughs> I've done to counteract that too is um, I have a stock allocation for samples, yeah, to give out for sampling and for, for drinking with beer consumers and drinking with venue staff. So I actually mark those beers um, with a white texture underneath the four pack and the, and the actual bottles itself and say, please do not resell this stock and I make it very abrupt and very apparent in a nice way of course but then that beer either gets consumed by the person who runs the bottle shop or it gets thrown out and I'm yeah because you don't want your beer to be light shot. it's 90 seconds yeah it's 90 seconds until like, that thing is screwed it goes it goes like cloudy it goes musty like attic like old attic and it's not nice I've had beers um, actually going back so when I used to help um, Hendo had a brew cult he used to do an educational session um, about beers flaws and faults and he used to put Heineken on the roof of um, his house or at the front or VB or whatever and show you a light struck Heineken versus a fresh Heineken that's been kept cold because Heineken's got a green bottle yes yeah, so it's going to go away it's, gonna, it's got no UV coating on it so it's going to go through quicker yeah um, than a brown bottle um, which has got a UV light coat on it too so but yeah you learn very quickly it, it's a completely different beer and you can see it too it, it goes it goes a little bit cloudy yeah so basically the counteract that I I, the way I approach that is, yeah, give them give them some stock to, to show at the front of their their venue, and then make sure it's apparent that it's not to be resold, and they can consume it too. Because they haven't, 
it's it's yeah it's it's not going to be the beer that you want at all by any means no and it it is a uh, it is a difficult conversation because you know clearly those venues as well they're trying their best you, you see it about but that's a really good way around it oh, thanks, good man. good tip um choice six man this is just it's so hard to do this because i was thinking about like i wrote down all these beers and i went and read your email and i was like oh it's, only, it's a six pack yeah oh shit okay <laughs> this is getting really hard maybe in yeah. a in a different world we'll have a, a yeah, slab we do the chosen <laughs> brew slab slab mix yeah special edition <laughs> so the last one for my six pack is hop zombie by epic brewing co um, I love hops, as I said too, um, and I love. I try to put a sour beer here too, but I just I felt like this beer is just an absolute belter of an imperial IPA, in my opinion. I think it's to me, it's it's what I want as a consumer. It's hoppy, it's dank, it's bright, it's bitter, it's rounded, um, it's it's relatively fresh all the time it comes into Australia, which is really cool too. But I've actually had it in the South Island, um, and I've got a funny story for you too. So. Mish, my partner, and I were driving around in a in a um, a camper van, and we went to the, the the local store to grab some some supplies for the camper van, the fridge, and there was just this amazing eclectic craft beer selection of like Panhead and you know Epic and Eight Wine and stuff too, and all these other breweries like Tuatara back in the day. And I grabbed some Hop Zombies because I love that beer, and it was like the freshest I've ever had it. But when we're driving down the road, I forgot to put the lock on the camper van fridge. Yeah, so there's always bottles smashed on the ground, and I've gone to meet. Just a, dude, is there like a hop farm around here? Because there's obviously hops growing in the South Island of of, of New Zealand, and it was just smashed bottles of hop zombie in the back of the camper van, and it broke my heart. Oh, no. I had to clean it up too, and I had still had one to drink, which was good, which is a good reward too. But um, yeah, that beer is um, it's on par with some of the best American IPAs I've ever had, which I've used to do a lot of beer trades with too. Um, back in the days, so it's it's like basically the South Hemisphere Pliny from like Russian River, in my opinion. I think it's one of my favourite beers I've ever had. And is is it talking of that kind of world class beer? Is Austra is the Australian scene there yet in terms of world class beers? In your oh, opinion? for sure, yeah, yeah, man, for sure. Like um, especially in the beer awards too, where we're, we're we're killing it. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of breweries out there making great great beer, man. Like and and. To style with their point of difference on it too, um, they got the status quo. They're, they're bridging, they're bridging the gaps too. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we, um, I think in the next few years, it will be crushing it over here. I reckon, I believe, yeah. And you think we, we should be a bit more proud? I think of, uh, of course, the Australian of course, beer scene yeah, as yeah, obviously yeah, you know, the tall poppy syndrome. Reap, yeah, you, you reap what you reward too. You know, you gotta, you gotta say, hey, I've done this, like. I think that's pretty powerful too. But I think there's a lot of um, the support too from like the IBA for Australia. They're giving us a lot of um, good content. Um, also, you know, the guys from Gab's Hollis 100 too, really piloting, you know, top 100 beers, um, which we've had a few beers in there. Um, you know, our Hazelnut Brand got in there within two months of being released in the venue and wholesale. <laughs> two months, we've got number 100. Like, that, that was insane. We, we never had them at ever. It's a great, great, great beer. It's still one of our biggest selling beers. But um, I think, you know, having the um, having the support from a body like the IBA or Brewers Association um, will definitely help grow that quality and the category too yet again. Um, and we're also developing a independent seal of, of um, f- for beer too to go into packaging. So bottles um, and four packs and slabs will have an independent seal on it too from the IBA. Um, the American breweries have been doing it for a while now and it's been going very, very well. It's actually working for them too. So, um, yeah, 
they're, they're developing that as we speak. Um, but yeah, I just think I think we um we make world class beer. Yeah, f- for sure. That's yeah. it. World class beer. Um, yeah, we're very lucky. Gonna have a receptacle to drink the beers out of. Ah, oh, yes. Um, I am a sucker for Spiegelau glasses and also Rydell. So I'm on a fine line. I'm on the fence. Um, it will be an IPA glass, which I think is a great vessel. They're so fragile, man. They're, they're strengthened <laughs> with quartz crystal. But like, yeah, like I've, I had one for three years and my partner smashed it and I cracked it. Um, but I've got a Rydell glass, which is, um, it's kind of similar to the IPA, but it hasn't got the, the, the rigids at the bottom, which is like people say it's like a, it's like a, um, a butt plug kind of thing. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit funny. But yeah, the Rydell glass is really good too. So I would probably say... Um, just because I love Spiegel Owl glasses, like I love their Tulip, their IPA glass, um, their Stout glass. I'll probably go with an IP. Oh, sorry, I'll probably go with a Spiegel Owl Tulip. I think it's the best vessel to drink any beer out of, um, any beer, any beer style. Yeah, it's one of those glasses that you yep. really um, should enjoy drinking out of yeah. because it's not broken yet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you know any that, moment, moment, that might be moment, your last drink. Any moment. I've heard apparently. Them, them blowing in people's hands, like blowing up in people's hands and stuff too. Like, wow. Yeah, you got to be super, super delicate with them too, man. But I've dropped them on stuff and like, they haven't broken. But yeah, but if you give it to someone you don't know about them, they, they break your glass. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely because we're used to drinking out of these really sturdy commercial mm. beer glasses and pint glasses yeah. and that we're, we're too, uh, too heavy handed. Yeah. And um, the snack to go with those beers. Ah, a good old snack. Um, if I drink beer... And I'm running and lifting weights. I eat a lot of pizza. I love pizza. Um, yeah, pizza's the bomb. It's got all the food <laughs> we talked about before, um, and it's just it fills you up and it's delicious and it's good carb loading. And um, what's, what's your choice for pizza? Um, I used to really enjoy this one. So it was um, a Bologna pizza. So it had like spaghetti sauce on it. Yeah. So what I used to do, I used to get um, a. I'm pretty sure I used to get like. It was either like a meat lovers or Mexican, and I used to put that bologna sauce on it for the, the thing and extra cheese and spinach. Always spinach for iron too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so bologna, Mexican, extra cheese, spinach. <laughs> very specific. <laughs> that, that is very good. And uh, do you think, um, you know, in in terms of uh, Bad Shepherd as well, you, you're kind of more of a North American style food. Yeah, um, slow barbecue, baby. Yeah, and uh, you know how's how's that been re- received in in this yeah, area? Um, so we're good? probably well. That's a really good question too. So from the from the venue point of view, um, so we're we're a brew pub. So we produce beer on site. We've got a tap room and a restaurant in the one premise and a nice deck outside. Um, foundations are obviously award-winning beer and uh, barbecue, so low and slow. So more kind of like you know Texas low and slow, salt and salt and pepper, bit of red gum, applewood and cherry wood that we use too to smoke out your ribs, brisket, pulled pork, wings. Um, I don't think anyone in this area is being really focusing on that kind of that style of mm. cooking food. Um, in America, obviously, it's massive because it's just how people cooked. They they smoked meats to preserve it, vice versa, to get flavor into the meat too. Um, it's 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 it can be efficient in ways if you if you buy wood in bulk and stuff too. Um, so yeah, so we smoke on site. We've got an awesome um, uh, two stack smoker Louisiana style in the kitchen, um, which is in the back corner. And then yeah, we just um, I love eating the food too, man. I think the lamb shoulder tastes freaking mad. And we also got a vegan menu too, which is really interesting too. So no one down our way is doing um, much vegan style food. Um, so we call it V BBQ um, as such. 
and I, I kind of like to eat vegetarian every now and then too. I think it's just good for your body. Um, it's you know not digesting differently and blah blah blah. Anyway, that's a different story for a different day. But yeah, so we're just um we're killing it down here, man. We're loving it. Um, and we got a great customer base too. We got a lot of familiar faces. Um, people who like to travel to the brew pub too, um, which is great. So it's a bit of a destination venue. Um, we've won a few awards for our beers. Um, and yeah, we're just having a lot of fun doing it, man. Taking it day by day. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, let's let's do some of these beers that just missed out on the so six. So I have got a lot on my list. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just I'll run through them pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, let's, let's talk do about it. One or yeah. two. Um, I stout from 8 Wide, a cracking Imperial stout. I have a love-hate with that beer. Um, every time I used to buy one, it used to break. Um, it used to drop out of the car or it used to fall out of the car. Um, so it was my love-hate beer, but I still love that beer. When I ever get to actually get into a glass and drink it, it's freaking awesome. And you can also blend it with the the um, uh, Hop Zombie and have a, a, a um, they call it an Eye Zombie. Yeah, and it's wow. like a black and tan. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, Stereo Nevada Narwhal Bourbon Barrel Aged Chocolate Milkshake Beer. It's freaking awesome. You can't get it anymore. It was, I think it was done once. Um, Great, great, great beer. Black Dog and Eel River Rye Musket. Um, so it was a collaboration beer for Good Beer Week about two years ago, and it is just a freaking barrel monster. Um, and James is a great brewer, and the boys from Eel River are really, really cool too. Um, Rodenback Grand Crew and Character Rouge, two freaking awesome Fanta styles. Red. Second one's got a lot of berries in it, which is just to die for. Southern Tier Creme Brulee, Imperial Stout, brewed with. Vanilla beans, I think it is, for memory. And it's a, it came into the country in Australia once and got a bottle and I just blew my mind. Um, Copy IPA from Mikala, um, just missed the six-pack. That beer, um, I f- remember sitting at Beer Deluxe having that and just freaking out. It was like, I, I, I had this thing, you know, with the milestone epiphany beers where, like I say, it's like cutting like a knife. So when you have that beer, you can taste every single ingredient or facet what they've done to it um, and that coffee IPA which is a coffee IPA from McKellar just blew my mind um, Tart of Darkness from the brewery um, which is one of the most recent ones which came into Australia I've always wanted that beer it is just insane it's like a barrel aged imperial stout um, that's been soured with something else in oak I'm pretty sure and was just Absolute mind-bending. Um, I love prairie beers. Um, prairies from Oklahoma in the States. I used to do beer trades with one of their owners. I used to get a bunch of um, beer before it got released over here. Um, thanks to Mish back in the day. She used to get me some Pliny and some of their beers. Um, they did this one called Wine Barrel Noir, which was really, really good. Their birthday bomb's pretty good. Um, and they did a vanilla noir too. Um, so they're imperial stats brewed with different adjuncts and different ingredients wow. and stuff too. Um, Feral Hot Plug. Um, Absolute belter. Had the OG version at the Tap House last week and it blew my mind. Um, Garage Project Yuzu Pernicious Weed um, came in limited quantities into Australia and it was just like fucking, like, blew my mind yet again. La Serene Curve de Boss, which was a Solara Method barrel aged sour. So Solara means um, three barrels. So they blend um, the top barrel with the bottom two barrels. Um, and that's what they did with the actual, it's a wine method. They did it with the, the sour. And it was like the, all the boys in the brewery freaked out over it. We tried to buy more bottles and we couldn't find any more. If anyone sees it, please let me know. <laughs> um, two meter tall Lacto Black from um, Tassie. It's a Lactobacillus dark ale of some sort. Recent release, I think last year. Just an awesome dark sour. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, old Pumping Station from Williams Peninsula. Um, just a Shiraz barrel aged. Uh, Imperial Stout, which we got to try with AG, the head brewer, and it was just to, to, to die for. And then you can't go past a... How do you say? Cantillon or Cantillon? 
Yeah, a Cantillon, I think, is it's like, it's like, the it's one like, I've heard most It's of. like Nonyo, <laughs> Nuno, <laughs> Nong Nong Nongyo. I don't know. Yeah, like, but yeah, Cantillon St. Lambert's, which is their, I think it's grape, grape sour. It's a grape sour that they do. Like, it's like foo foo, like apricot sour kind of thing, too. But, um, yeah, Cantillon, yeah, they rule, too, man. They're making really, really good beers. Well, what a credit to the six that you chose. Thanks, this is some absolute yeah, belting it, beers said, that missed it's, out. It's actually <laughs> a really good challenge, like, to, to try and find those six beers that, like, not, not, not like, branch you into drinking independent beer, but, like, just blew your mind. Like, literally, went, you went, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. what is going on right now? Yeah, and the nice thing is, is that it's not necessarily a static list either, because... Our beer journey continues, uh, yeah. regardless of, uh, you know, like I certainly have some beers uh, this year which have yep. gone, wow, that, that would be a my six. And it, it's yeah. it's only come out a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so I, had to, I had to go through back my un- through my untapped and Instagram and my old blogs and stuff and try and find the ones that I really engaged with and the ones that I was kind of like, oh, they're really well done beers too. Um, and I said it's so hard because you kind of have a soft spot for everything I suppose in a way yeah. um, and it's also soft, 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 soft for your own stuff too so yeah it's interesting it's been a wonderful journey oh, Scott thanks, and thanks so much for spending time where can people find you online and um, so my Instagram Twitter and Facebook handle is uh, Beardface so as in I've got a beard I like to drink beer double entendre kind of thing too so find me on there or you find me at Bad Shepherd man um, floating around all the time hanging out having a bit of fun now what happens when the when you need to lose the beard for some reason. Well, I shaved it off recently. Actually, I did a, um a like a big wall. I call it a, I call it a walrus mustache. So shaved off my beard with this big big mo. Um, my partner freaked out because I haven't shaved like well, I haven't shaved my beard off for like eight years, man. Like wow. it's been so I shaved it off before that. I had one and I grew it out like to like a wizard beard, <laughs> did, like girthy stuff. Like um yeah, I'm just kind of I suppose I'm lazy in ways. I think everyone's lazy in ways. Um but yeah, mine mine was um not shaving so. And I can grow a beard, so happy days. Well, it got you a job in beer. Yeah, and that, that's, that's it. what beards do. And it, and it set me apart from everyone else, you know, too. This big red fiery beard, you know, like that's that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, people remember. Yeah, you. that's it. Well, yeah. no, it's it, uh, sadly for people listening to the podcast, they can't see the beard, but I can certainly vouch for it. Well, we should take a photo and post it up. Yeah, man. most we'll definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Cheers, Scott. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, So that was it, Scott Thompson from Bad Shepherd. Scott is such a wonderful figure in the craft beer scene. He's very noticeable around beer events and always great to chat to. We'll always love to have a chat about beer, something he's very passionate about. And you can tell from his 3,500 beers that he's managed to taste over the years. He's explored a spectrum of beers there, which is one to envy. I I get the feeling that he's definitely in the right profession. So thanks so much to Scott for recording that episode. Now, you are someone who loves listening to nostalgic journeys through beer. So you might well like my new podcast, which is being put out through the Turnstile Network, which is a new sports network in Melbourne, which is called The Wheel of Sport. I'm recording that with my good friend Justin Price. So if you'd like to uh, subscribe, The Wheel of Sport is going to be released in the next week or so. So if you subscribe now, then you'll get the first episode in your sleep. Here's the trailer 
and I will see you next time for another episode of The Chosen Brew, The Six Beers That Changed Everything. In the meantime, here's The Wheel of Sport. I'm Ian McNally. And I'm Justin Price. And this is The Wheel of Sport, brought to you by the Turnstile Network. It's an unscripted, nostalgic journey through our sporting past. Each episode, we'll spin the wheel packed with topics, head-to-head, against all odds, golden moments, and many more. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen to our great mates on the Turnstile Network. See you next time on The Wheel of Sport. That's pretty good, that, Justin. Thanks.